Who's the founder acharya of the Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampradaya? That's right. We should follow his teachings. <laughs> That's true. This is the main point that comes to my mind when I hear this kind of thing. Yeah, I think we mentioned it yesterday in Sarvasamvadani of Shijiva Goswami Prabhupada. He mentions that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu founded his own sampradaya. That's taken in different ways and has become over the uh, centuries a, a controversy in Gaudiya Vaishnavism different than this, but um, the controversy is, did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu found his own Sampradaya? And if so, then how can we harmonize that with the statement of Padma Purana, I believe it's Padma Purana. What is that statement? That Sampradaya Vihinaya Mantraste Nishpala, there's two verses, but a mantra will bear no fruit if it is not received from Sampradaya, and then it goes on to say that there are four Sampradayas. What are they? Brahma. Melanie? Vishnu Swami. Right. Sri Sampradaya, Lakshmi, and largely represented in the world in modern times by uh, Ramanuja, Charja, the Brahma Sampradaya, largely represented by Madhva, and the Bark Sampradaya, or the uh, Kumar Sampradaya, represented by Mimbarka, and the Rudra Sampradaya, represented by Vishnu Swami and then Balava, with the permission and the blessings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, actually. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I think Bhakti Ratnakar gives evidence to the history of Mahaprabhu's blessing Balava to start his own group. So, question is, so what's the controversy, Janaba? That, uh, which controversy, from this book? No, uh, larger controversy. That uh, we are not from any Sampradaya, I guess? Right. If Chaitanya Mahaprabhu founded his own Sampradaya, and Shastra says there are only four Sampradayas, then that's controversial. So, some people take the side that Mahaprabhu started his own Sampradaya, and we don't care what Padma Purana says, or they take the position that that verse cannot be found in any existing manuscript of Padma Purana. Therefore, we consider it to be what's called interpolation, that over the centuries, in the unscrupulous people, it could be, it doesn't necessarily have to be unscrupulous people, but have added something to the Purana for their own purpose in later manuscripts. Of course, we should understand these Puranas and Shastras to be a dynamic and ongoing and unfolding thing. After all, Bhaktivinoda Thakur discovered 
the Chaitanya Upanishad, but if we examine it closely, some people would say that he wrote the Chaitanya Upanishad, but discovering it and writing it are not necessarily uh, mutually contradictory because this is revelation, these are discoveries. They do manifest through through the hearts uh, and realizations of great devotees who wrote the Bhagavatam. Who knows? I mean, of course, we say Vyas edited all the, the sacred texts and so forth, compiled them, and so Krishna spoke Bhagavatam. What is the Bhagavatam? If you you know, if you look at it carefully, it's obviously it's a dynamic, growing thing. Even Prabhupada once said that we have here are sixty volumes or thirty volumes, whatever it was, of Bhagavatam. But on the planets, there are hundred volumes, and and it all came in four shlokas, four verses from Krishna to Brahma. Then we have within the Sutta Goswami Bhagavatam of eighteen thousand shlokas, which has become the Bhagavatam. We have the Bhagavatam from four shlokas spoken by Krishna to Brahma. We have the Narada Bhagavatam, Brahma to Narada, about twelve verses, if my memory serves me well. And you have the Maitreya Bhagavatam speaking to Vidura. You even have the uh, the Kumaras enlightened by Sankarshan, another Bhagavatam, within, as I say, the Sutta Goswami Bhagavatam. And um, we have Sukadev speaking to Maharaj Parikshit. We have Sutta Goswami speaking to the sages of Namisharanya. So it's uh, it's a growing and organic uh, living thing, I want to say. And so, yeah, we say that Vyas wrote it, but some people say, well... Other people have written the. He wrote all the scriptures. Some people say, "Well, other people have written them in later times." And look at the Sanskrit from this period to the significance and so forth. So we are in that so within the broader framework of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. This has been a controversy over centuries, and some take the one side. No, we are not part of it. We don't accept those verses. This is the Chaitanya Sampradaya, and our Sampradaya begins with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and one of his associates. There's the lineage of Nityananda Paribar, the, the family or the lineage of Advaita Paribar, the Garadhar Paribar, Goswami, you know, Paribars, and so forth. All, they would say the Sampradaya has to start from one of these eternal associates. And what we acknowledge then that Lakshmi Pati Tirtha was the guru of Madhavendra Puri, and Madhavendra Puri it was a guru of Ishwapuri, and Nityananda Prabhu also, and Advaita, and Ishwapuri became the guru of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And so, of course, nobody will deny that, but they say that the Sampadaya really begins with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, whereas we trace it back to, connected to the Madhva Sampadaya. But see, Madhva Sampadaya, they won't. They don't acknowledge that we're part of their sampradaya because our teachings are very different. What do we say to that? Your teachings, even if you can manufacture you know, this connection, going back to our acharyas, as they would look at them, the Madhva acharyas, because you can't, there's a break in it, records to establish definitively with any physical evidence that Lakshmi Patitirtha was the guru of Madhavendra Puri, and therefore Madhavendra Puri was in the Madhva Sampradaya. In the records at Udupi, the main place of Madhva, and they have a list of the charges, and 
Madhavindapuri is not mentioned there. And so, so even if you could, we can to some extent, but even if you could uh, definitively to their satisfaction establish that, they still say what? But your teachings are different. So what is the meaning of that? How can you be a member of our Your teachings are, are very different. There are at least ten points of very important difference between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's shiksha and that of Madhva. And for that matter, the whole metaphysic is termed differently. Right? In Madhva Sampradaya, it's called Dvaitavad. And we are Dvaita Dvaita, Achinta Dvaita Dvaita, or Achintya Veda Veda, same thing. It's a whole different metaphysic. What's bigger than specifics and theology and, and so Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. This is a theological point of the Gaudias, not of the Madhva Sampradaya. Why is it even that important? I mean, now, nowadays, of course... Well, you claim to be members of our Madhva Sampradaya. And you expect us to accept that? And your teachings are different? You're renegades, you Chaitanya people. And you want to make some connection with the four Sampradayas that are the real Sampradayas, but they have no connection. And even if you have a physical connection, okay, I mean, we can go that far with you. Your siksha is different. Your teaching is different. So, you're a renegade sampradaya out of Bengal with all this emphasis on shakti. Because Practically, you're shaktas, not bhaktas. You're placing the goddess, you know, <laughs> above Bhagwan. practically. What does it matter, you say? Well, yeah, we've been around for a long time here. You know, we are the Madhva Sampradaya. We, we go back to Vyasa himself. Did you know that? Went to the Himalayas. That's right. Our Madhva went right to the Himalayas, confirmed his Bhagavad Gita commentary, his Mahabharata commentary with, with Vyasa himself. And you expect us to accept that you're part of our... You're going all over the world telling people this? We're outraged at this. You're a renegade Sampradaya only. What do we say? Well, was mad. <laughs> He was mad. You're mad. <laughs> but yet it is all like, you know, different flavors of, of fruit juice. You know, there's a banana juice and then there's pineapple juice. Please give us some Shastra. We don't accept this kind of talk. It's all different flavors. No, actually, uh, it's all Dasya Bhakti. It's all Dasya Bhakti. As far as four Sampradayas, uh, Krishna told Arjuna that they're all lost. The Sampradayas are broken. He said, the, the knowledge as it is appears to be broken. So, what is about those four Sampradayas? And where is the Sampradaya coming from Arjuna? You're saying, evam parampara praptam imam rajasya yobidu sakalena mahata yoga nashta parantapa. Krishna says in the Gita that this parampara sometimes is broken and I come and, re and renew it. That's what our Madhva has done. Madhva has come and renewed the Sampradaya. Where is the Sampradaya coming from Arjuna? Uh, Arjuna is not an Acharya. Arjuna is not an Acharya. Arjuna is a, is a devotee of Krishna through whom Krishna revealed the Gita. Krishna is just making a point there. Are you going to dismiss all these ancient Sampradayas started by Krishna himself, by Lakshmi, by Rudra, Shiva, by Kumars? Either you're going to be part of one of our sampradayas or you're not. And if you're going to be, you have to conform to the siksha, to the teaching. What we say is, in reply, one of the things that we can say, of course, is that, well, let's look at your sampradaya. What is your sampradaya, Madhva sampradaya? Who's Madhva's guru? Vyasadeva. Was he initiated by Vyasadeva? No. 
So who is initiated by? What is it? Achutya Preksha, I think his name was. He is an Advaitin. So your Param Guru in Madhva Sampadaya, the Guru of, of Madhva is, a, is an Advaitin. So what's with this Madhva coming out with the Dvaita? It's a whole different Shiksha. And then he says what? Well, he went to Vyas, Shiksha Guru Parampara now. Right? It's becoming a Shiksha Guru Parampara. The concept of Bhakti Siddhanta Sashtitaka, he never applied it per se to Madhva, but this is a good example. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, he got his initiation, but he had a whole different revelation from his guru, which was like totally absurd from the Advaitin point of view. So he said, well, I'll go around to you then. <laughs> he went to Vyas, right? To the Himalayas. He met Vyas, right? Then he read his Edu commentary, and, and Vyas approved it. So, Madhva, Vyas, Brahma, and, and, and so on, to Krishna. But then we say, well, anyway, that's your faith. Can anybody prove that he went to Vyas? Is there any proof of that, that he went and talked to Vyas? <laughs> Mother would just tell him, he went there, I talked to Vyas. And what he really did was he had overwhelming spirituality and spiritual power. It caused people to, to, to come under him and to believe him. And, and so we can't, nobody can prove that he went to talk to Vyas. There's no proof whatsoever. Of it's just a matter of faith, that's all. Trusting his word, but but he created a sampradaya. You could say the same thing, just like they're accusing us of creating a sampradaya. What is our faith? Our faith is the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. We have more shastra to, and I believe that he went to Vyas. We have all respect for Madhva, but if sometimes their neophyte followers challenge us, as they sometimes do, yeah, then we have something to say. Our article of faith is the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Swami Bhagavan. And you may laugh at that, but we don't laugh at your article of faith that Madhva had direct <laughs> connection with Vyas. We like it. We see spiritual character in Madhva, and we hear the teaching, so we accept it. That's our generosity. That's our Vaishnavism. We, you should share the same. And we don't ask you to go as far. Because when we say that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan, we have some support for that also. We have take, gone as far as to make an academic, if you will, exercise and demonstrate from Shastra in so many ways that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself. We have some logic for it, we have some scriptural support for it, and we have this, the spirituality of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as you have the spirituality of, uh, of Madhva. So what is... Uh, are we asking you to believe more than you're asking us to believe? Theirs is more of a stretch. Then the other side of the argument, of course, is that, well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu started his own sampradaya. Some people like to go with that. They dismiss the verses from Padma Purana, call them interpolation, and they say there is no such verse about four sampradayas. They were thought to sampradayas aren't sampradaya, and they established themselves spiritually, their credibility, they, they explain the shastras in a systematic way with the methodology and comprehensively and, and, and so forth, and so then there are sampradaya. And they say, so we are the Chaitanya Sampradaya. And we don't need this Madhva connection and so forth. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he accepted those verses from Padma Purana. So he found reason to make that connection. He's not the only one. Kavi Kanapur makes that connection. Baladev Bidjabhushan makes that connection also. Baladev himself is a crossover from Madhva Sampradaya to Gaudiya Sampradaya. But those who insist 
that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu founded his own sampradaya. And we don't have to be concerned about there being only four sampradayas and therefore make a bridge to the Madhva sampradaya. They would say that you have to be then in a lineage coming from one of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's associates. What's your lineage? What's your paribar? Go to Bengal, they'll ask you. Which is your paribar? A Garadha paribar? Nityananda paribar? A Dvaita paribar? From which associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu does your sampradaya come? What is our answer? Who can say? Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitapur gave the answer very boldly. We are in the Bhakti Banod Paribar. That is a revolutionary answer. What is the implication? It accepted Ghosh, I think his name was, who was the, the editor and well known contemporary writer in Bengal at the time. What was his name? Anyway, a Ghosh, it's a Bengali name. Famous fellow. He wrote that we consider Bhaktivinoda Thakur as the seventh Goswami. Suddenly he becomes elevated to the position of an, of an eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Our connection is with him. We're in the Bhaktivinoda Paribar. This was the dynamic answer of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And those who reject it fail to see that their own argument for being in the Chaitanya Sampradaya, if you will, and not having to be connected with Madhva Sampradaya or be concerned about the four Sampradayas, are using the same logic to establish themselves as the Chaitanya Sampradaya that we are using, basically, to establish ourselves as being members of Bhakti Vinod Paribar and Bhakti Vinod being a, a spiritually dynamic person that his work, his contribution is comparable to that of the six Goswamis. In many ways, actually, it is analogous, not only in the terms of envisioning the Sampradaya for the future, as Thakur Bhaktivinoda did, interfacing as he did with the modern world, like the Goswamis were doing. The six Goswamis were really starting the Chaitanya, or whatever we want to call it, Madhva Chaitanya Sampradaya, by writing about the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu was like, I'd like to say, like, like a waterfall, like Niagara Falls, just flowing ecstasy, and you couldn't really, what is he about? How do, you, how do you take advantage of that? The Goswamis, they took the waterfall of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's ecstasy and they turned it into a lake of literature that was a form of institutionalizing, if you will, a soft form of institutionalizing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and thereby making him accessible. That they could drink from the lake and, and bathe from the lake and have some access to, to what he was about, demonstrating that his ecstasy, that the color of gore, Antar Krishna Bari Goram, he's black inside, but he's golden outside, that the color of gore, this corresponds with the, it's called Maranakya Mahabhav. Every emotion has a color in Indian aesthetics. Every emotion has a corresponding color. The color of sham is the color of conjugal love. It's not black, that's another, but sham. The color of conjugal love, for example. Tapta kanchana gaurange. And this golden color, that is the color of particular kind of love and ecstasy that Sri Radha said to embody. Mahabhabhuta gone, that color. And they, I mean, nana shastra vicharana kinipano saddharma samstapako and lokanam hitakharino tribhuvane manyusharanyakara. What kindness they had 
and what insight they had to take that madness. I mean, you know, otherwise looking at it, people come to the conclusion that he was an epileptic. Even in Navadweep, they felt sorry for Sachi. Oh, Sachi's son has gone mad, one of those mad episodes again. It's like he's such a brilliant boy, but he goes through this manic, depressive, schizophrenic, you know, episodes every now and then. Poor Sachi. Her husband has left. Her first seven daughters died. Her eldest son was stolen by Adwaita, influenced by him to leave home and take Sanyas. And now, and one beautiful boy with whom no one can compare, but he's mad. Mad. <laughs> and the academic people were right about it. Oh, he seemed to be having epileptic fits every now and then, and, and so forth. Hmm? Madness. But the Goswamis, they had a whole other vision, you see. Therefore, we are more indebted to the Goswamis than to the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in effect. Same principle as, as always. We are more indebted to the devotees than to Bhagwan. Somebody wrote that, you have said Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said this by quoting Chaitanya Charitamrita, but actually, this is what Krishna does. Kaviraj Goswami said, we don't know that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said this. We ought to have faith in Krishna as Kaviraj. But I made the reply that actually, if you believe that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Bhagwan, but now you question that Krishna as Kaviraj Goswami is accurately representing him because he's a devotee, and you say, well, I, this is what Krishna says. We don't know that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says that. I say, the only way that you know the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Bhagavan, is through Krishna Kaviraj, or through the Goswamis, and there's no difference because they blessed him to write. Any interpretation of scripture that, that serves to demonstrate that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was Bhagavan, it's all the interpretation of the Goswamis. No one saw like that. It's not a new verse from Bhagavatam. This is the most important Abhidesh Shloka of Bhagavatam, practically. And you all know it, I hope. Describing who? We say, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Nobody saw like that. There are many different ways to interpret that verse. Shiraswami, famed commentator that Mahaprabhu revered so much, commented in a different way. Ramanuja, Madhva, all these... Ramanuja say it's Ramanuja talking about. Yeah, so many different interpretations of the verse. It was Sanatana Goswami who saw in that verse Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And if you read Sanatana Goswami's explanation, you think, well, of course. I mean, this is the most obvious. Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had already appeared by that time. <laughs> so he put the two together. Here's Chaitanya. This is the verse. This is what he's talking about. He showed how the previous verse indicates the same and the successive verses, two of them also follow up on that. This is a novel contribution of Sanatana. Without, the point is, without such vision of the devotees, this was the task. This was given to the devotees. Mahaprabhu was otherwise hiding himself. Not only did they bring him out, that he's the Yuga Avatar, they told things about him that he blushed to think. They're telling that too. What can be said? They're saying that also about me. Enough to establish him as Yuga Avatar. But when, when, when Mahaprabhu sang from Sahitya Darpana, hmm, Sahitya Darpana or Kavi Prakash, Kavi Prakash is a secular book on Rashastra. Rashastra means to poet, poetic, sahitya, the poetic language, language of love and so forth, which is, of course was invoked primarily in Bhagavatam to explain that Krishna's 
to Bhagavan Swayam to explain this tattva that Krishna is the supreme personality of God. He used poetry, primarily kavya. So it's hidden language, all kinds of so many meanings in there. Like when we speak in love, then not everybody can understand. If two lovers are talking, only they will know what they're talking about, really, unless you're privy to that in some way. These devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Mahaprabhu came, yes, all right, if you want to reveal it, I'm Yuga Avatar. But when Mahaprabhu sang from Kavi Prakash in Rathayatra, in Ordinary Love Song, people had to wonder, what? I mean, this is a religious festival. It has varied meanings that people draw from it, Rathayatra. Jagannath is Jagannath. He's the Lord of the universe. So all kinds of people have different conceptions. Even Buddhists worship Lord Jagannath. Some people think he's Ganesh. It's all different kinds of ideas. Mahaprabhu saw him playing a flute with a peacock feather on his head. In Rathayatra, he's singing this song, and it is a religious festival. He's singing a secular love song. Hmm? Like a cinema song, yeah. We, people might wonder, what's this fellow about? Rupa Goswami was quick to then let everyone know. He wrote his own verse explaining that. And what did he do with it? He tacked it on the door of his kutir. That's like putting it in the headlines in those days. Mahaprabhu saw that he snatched that verse, slapped him, and he covered his mouth. You were saying that about me. You're telling that kind of thing. When this is, means the internal reason for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. So these are all, the, this is the task given to the devotees to reveal Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Without hearing from them, who will have any idea that the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Bhagavan? And the whole argument, Swayam Bhagavan, that's this theological revolution that these devotees were involved in to establish such a point. People may question the divinity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and, and not agree with our interpretations. As I said, they have their own interpretations of all those slokas. But they cannot disagree with that the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu embodied the ideal that everyone is pursuing. I mean, he was mad with love of God. So you have to take the scripture and you have to figure out how to make it work. Because if you cannot find scripture to support the ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then you might say, then what is the value of the scripture? Because he's embodying the very ideal. So the task is, the burden is yours. You have to show how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is, how this ecstasy is, is supported by the scripture. If it doesn't support this, then who wants that scripture? We throw it out. We want that ecstasy. This is what the Goswamis did then. Not only did they support it, they explained in such detail, such detail they came to, what exactly is this ecstasy that he's tasting? And this comes to all, call the, all these high things, of course, the mood of Radha and so forth. This was their, their work. We've done this work. We've demonstrated in so many ways. Now, Sampradaya, what is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's position? I mean, you have to be blind not to appreciate those types of explanations. And so, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, yes, he founded his own Sampradaya, we can say. That's all right. We can go that way, or we can go the other way. He's a member of the, of the Madhva Sampradaya, in which he's bringing new light. It's not a different siksha, but new light. That's all. Progress. Progressive understanding. Same mantra is given by Brahma, to Brahma from Krishna, that Mahaprabhu received 
from Ishwarpuri. Same mantra. But the meaning is coming a little different. Now, if you look at the difference of the meaning that's coming in Madhvasampadaya from that, and in Chaitanya Sampadaya, you have to see, oh, in Chaitanya Sampadaya, Gaudiya Sampadaya, more light is coming on the significance of that shloka that Krishna spoke to Brahma. That it means Gopal Mantra, Kam Gayatri. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur, his work is revolutionary, like those Goswamis revealing Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Goswamis, they wrote, right? And this way they institutionalized in a soft way without forming a corporation. The ecstasy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and thereby made him that much more accessible and understandable and approachable. What else did the Goswamis do? Well, they established Vaishnav Achar, proper behavior for Vaishnavas. They excavated the Tirtas, the holy places of Krishna's pastimes in Vrindavan. And Bhaktivinoda Thakur has done all these things too in his writings. Again, the Goswamis wrote in a way as to position the Sampradaya to grow, to give it some life, some future, to give it a foundation and a future. And they wrote in consideration of the time and circumstance, like Hari Bhakti Vilas. It's all written in terms of time and circumstance and so forth. It was a smarter Brahmin type of climate. Advaitins were the only renunciates. And the smarter Brahmin uh, outlook on Dharma is full of rules and regulations. And if you study Hari Bhakti Vilas, there are a thousand eight rules and regulations, how to brush your teeth, how to pass air, how to do everything. It's really a cumbersome type of affair. And nobody follows it perfectly. There's some relativity in, that, in, in this book. When I met with that fellow, what's his name, Shivats Goswami, one of the prominent followers of Gopal Bhatta's lineage, and Gopal Bhatta was one of the authors of Hari Bhakti Vilas, he quoted me, from Hari Bhakti Vilas, he said, Guru cannot be a sannyasi. You should know that. I said, you should know, and then you do, of course, that my guru is a sannyasi, so well, I guess we'll discuss this politely. Is that your idea? <laughs> he was challenging. He was trying to... I'm an educated kind of person, self-educated, I should say, but uh, he could tell that, and he cultivates educated people from the West, and so he was trying to woo me in to his way of thinking. I said, well, of course, yes, but my guess my guru is a sannyasi, so this is rather, it was very polite and everything, but this is rather confrontational, interesting. <laughs> so then he quoted the verse from Hari Bhakti Vilas, and that verse says that the, that the guru should be a householder. It doesn't say the guru can't be a sannyasi, but it, so he was interpreting it in that way. The verse also says that he should be very good looking as well. A friend of mine was confronted by the same fellow, and he said, you put as much weight on the other part, too? That he should be good-looking? As, as he must be a householder? I told him, Kibabi Prakibanasi Sudrakin, and I, Bhagavan said, Hey, Krishna Tattvaita, say Guru Hai. Mahaprabhu said, Whether you're a Sudra, he told Ramananda Roy, Sudravana, Kayasta, I accept you as my Ragmar Guru. You can help me learn how to taste the ecstasy of Radha. You are Vishaka Gopi herself, Ramananda. You can help me in this. He asked the questions and Ramananda, and Ramananda gave, gave the siksha. This is the zenith of the Chaitanya Chaitamrita, who Mahaprabhu is, what he's about, comes there. 
I quoted this verse, Mahaprabhu said, whether he's a sudra or sannyasi or brahman or whatever, it doesn't matter if he knows about Krishna. Ye Krishna Tattveta. If he knows the truth about Krishna, say Guru Hai. I accept him as my guru. And Sri Vatsuka Swami said, that means only Siksha Guru. I said, says you. <laughs> says you. No, Mahaprabhu said this to Siksha Guru, to Ramananda Roy. Then I quoted some other verses and so forth and, and so on. And then he said, anyway, no one follows Hari Bhakti Vilas closer than us. I said, well, you thank you for helping me make my point. No one follows Hari Bhakti Vilas completely. You've admitted it. No one follows more closely than us, but no one follows it completely. <laughs> because it, it was written for a purpose, not only to give behavioral standards for Gaudiya Vaishnavas, but to do it in such a way that the people of the times who thought you had to know how to sneeze properly to be religious would be able to identify with Gaudiya Vaishnavism because it also had all these rules and regulations on everything. Really, Mahaprabhu has given it, made it everything very simple for us. All these rules and regulations of Dharma Shastra and so forth, he made it very simple for us. What did he say? Kamalini? Yes, but he gave some rules how to chant, even though he said there are no hard and fast rules. No, he didn't say that. He said four things. These four things behave like this. Everything perfect then. Then you don't have to worry about Varnashram, anything. Just do this. Four things. Not so easy, but simplified. <laughs> Nonetheless, just be like this. Be more humble than a blade of grass. Be tolerant like the tree. And tolerant like the tree, Bhakti Note says, means means also tolerant, be compassionate to others. If you tolerate, then you could be kinder to people. And expect no honor for yourself and give all honor to others. Something like that. He was testing Balaba. Balaba said, he caught it, he could figure it out. He said, no, they're praiseworthy, they're chanting Krishnanam, they have the, such humility, and he glorified them, quoting some verses Mahaprabhu appreciated. Mahaprabhu said, the humility we see in Rupsanatan and Rupanupam, another time he said, and Rupsanatha, this is breaking my heart, breaking my heart. It goes out to them. Why the six Goswamis are so important to us? Mahaprabhu had so many eternal associates. Why they are more important than Surup Damodar and Ramananda Rai? Why these, these six and one more? Who's the one more? I don't mean Bhakti Vinod, but <laughs> he is the seventh, but because these associates, they demonstrated sadhana for us. They demonstrated how to conduct oneself in a sadhaka deha, in the practitioner's body. The others, they're all, you can't follow them for the most part. You can't follow uh, Pundarik Vidyaniti, smoke a hookah, you know. They were doing things like that. They were mad people, like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mad. But the Goswamis, they set an example for us how to practice. So they are so important to us. Mahaprabhu empowered them for that reason. So they established places of Krishna's pastimes. They wrote about Vaishnava uh, Siddhanta. They drew from revealed scripture. They established the behavior of Vaishnava. They excavated the places of Krishna's pastimes. They established the standard of um, archan, of deity worship. 
putting Radha next to Krishna and the revolutionary idea. They did these things. And Thakur Bhakti Vinod has done all these things too, 500 years later, with a view to push the Sampradaya forward, to modernize and present the teachings relevant to the direction in which the world is going. Not to change the teachings with the flow of the world, but to speak about the teachings in such a way that the modern world would take notice of it. So to speak about it in an essential way, it means, like he prayed, Sada Brahi Vaishnav. Sada means essence. Sada Brahi, not Bara Brahi. Bara Brahi means Bhakti Vinod is carrying the burden of details that gets in the way of allowing the essence to come through and quarreling over details only. It comes to that. We're saving the world, but fighting with one another. Who will take care of this very seriously? Nobody. If we do, then we're foolish. We still think we won't save the world. We were saved by your behavior, by your example, more than by precept. This is the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's own standard. Did he write anything? Ten verses only were written by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Eight in Shikshastakam and two others. Naham vipro na cha narapati na pivaisho na sudro naham vani na cha grihipati no vana stoyutiva. Kintu prodo nikila paramananda ponamrita avdir. Gopi bhatu parakamayo dasta asana dasa. This verse, nice verse, important verse, tells us to step out of our material identity and into our spiritual identity. And look at the world from that vantage point. And Shrotam api upanishadam dure harikatamrita. You know this verse? Jirugasami mentions in Bhakti Sandarva. Mahaprabhu said, he said, Mahaprabhu said, Gorangam Bhagwan, Shrotam api upanishadam dure harikatamrita. The sounds of the Upanishads, they are very far from harikata. What you can get from harikata, from Krishna Nam, Krishna Kata, is much distant and higher sense from what you can get from ham brahmasmi, soham, tattvamasi, all these aphorisms. Kampashu pulakada. I said, you can get all this ecstasy. Rasananda. Mahaprabhu only spoke the ten verses. He didn't write any commentary on Vedanta Sutra or any major, major treatise. But this is Krishna in his Acharya Leela. Acharya means Behavior. Mahaprabhu taught by his behavior. That's how he converted. I mean, look at the people, the giants that he converted. I mean, there were giants on the scene at the time. Sarvabhoma, Bhattacharya. What did he do? He was like the guru to the king of Puri, practically. And he used to teach sannyasis, Vedanta Sutra, to strengthen their resolve by the, the, the logic of how the Shastra all works together, that is Vedanta Sutra. Very important person in the Indian landscape. Prakashananda Saraswati. Practically he owned Banaras. Such a capital of learning. In the south, Venkatabhata. He was the head he was the head pujari of the whole Ramanuja Sampradaya, Sri Rangam. And practically he was leading the whole Sampradaya. These kinds of people. Keshava Kashmiri from Nimbarka Sampradaya, also Mahabhu converted, all these people. And then from the non-Vaishnav sector, Chandkazi, I mean, this guy was like, you know, important, <laughs> big person in Bengal, 
Nityananda Prabhu went to the went to the lowest of people. Mahaprabhu went to the high people, from high from a societal point of view, and converted them. But how did he convert them? How did he convert Sarvabhum Bhattacharya? By being quiet. He didn't say anything. That's how he defeated him. He didn't say anything for seven days. And Sarvabhum became so uncomfortable. Silence brings gravity. You can try it sometime. Don't say anything. People start to worry. Maybe they know. Maybe she knows something. I don't know. Or, or, you know what's she thinking? What's he thinking? And suddenly, the, the, suddenly, the thing starts to shift. <laughs> you get some power from that. Mahaprabhu kept silent. Sarvabhum became doubtful. In his doubt, he began to think, Gopinath told me, my brother-in-law, he's Bhagawan. And I thought he was just a sentimentalist and all. And he quoted all this scripture. And I said, ah, scripture, scripture, you can be interpreted in so many ways, you know. We're logical people down here, sound and sober people, learned people. You, you've come with your emotionalism with this church. I mean, I like him. He's beautiful. He's a young man and sannyasi. And, uh, but Bhagwan, what, what is this? He's God. That thought started to come to him. Gopinath said he's Bhagawan. He's sitting quietly like this. He started to think maybe he's Bhagawan. The Sukriti is building in him. Mahaprabhu creating that Sukriti. Gopinath hiding in the bushes. What will happen? Sarvabhum asked, well, 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 come on, what do you understand? How did you understand what I said? Did I say something wrong? Does he know better than me? Can you say something? Mahaprabhu began to speak. Gaudiya Vedanta. Gopinath heard all that. Next birth he appeared as Baldev Vijabhushan. He wrote Gobindabhasha, Gaudiya Tika, on Vedanta Sutra. This way Mahaprabhu converted Sarvabhuma. How did you defeat uh, Prakashananda? Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, he was sat by the where they clean, they clean the shoes with his humility. That's all. How did he convert this Venkatapata um, in South India, Ramanuja Sampradaya? By joking, by telling a joke, he converted him. He said, "Oh, you know, uh, Narayan Lakshmi is very chaste." To Narayan, yes, yes, very chaste. Most chaste, Venkata replied. He said, I have a question. Why did she want to go and dance with Krishna if she's the chaste wife of Narayan? Oh, very funny, very funny. <laughs> Joking about the goddess like this. It is not a problem. Narayan, Krishna, they are one in Tattva. Then Mahaprabhu said, Oh, very good. I have another question. Why she wasn't allowed to dance with Krishna? Why are you joking like this? He said, You're making... Yeah, and then he became bewildered. I don't know. The only who could ask such a question could know the answer. What kind of question is that? Nobody in the religious history could think of such a question. What are you saying? This way, he converted them. How he converted Chandkazi? Simple, he said. You love your mother? Yes. Why do you eat her? Isn't the cow your mother? Yes. But in our religion, it's okay to eat cows. You mean it's okay to kill your mother? No, <laughs> I didn't mean that. This way he was converted. Mahaprabhu said few things, but of course he charmed everyone. That means you don't have to say much. That's why I talk so much, because I don't have much power. If I had power, then I could be quiet, and <laughs> you would all agree with me. Mahaprabhu had so much power, he didn't have to say anything practically, and everyone was converted. He taught us that... If we are to convert people, if we are to win their hearts, 
we should do primarily by our example. Example speaks louder than precept. Bhaktivinoda Thakur has given a good example. He envisioned the Sampradaya for modern times. He took the essence and he gave us an example. Our Prabhupada was following that example. How to take the essence of that Sampradaya so that we won't be just caught up in, uh, in details and end up arguing with one another and, and then thinking we're going to change the world. What kind of example is that? Fooling ourselves. We, we're devotees and we're going to, everybody's going to, there's going to be a bomb and then everybody's going to run to us. I mean, why are they run to us? <laughs> really? Say, well, because we represent Chaitanya. Maybe in theory you do, to some extent, as well as you know the theory, but how much do we exemplify what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught, what our Gurudev taught? When we think like this, then we can start to become qualified and attractive to one another. And How we should think of one another, that is another thing. I was, but Saul was kind enough to invite me to his house this morning for his wife's delicious offering of pancakes. They were good. I'm still remembering them at the, mo- at the moment, but I mentioned there, we were chatting, that my idea is something like this, that Mahabharata taught that jivar swarup hoi krishna nityadas. Every jiva swarup, this is a general statement, of course, is their servant of Krishna. So all of us have rendered some service to our Gurudev and thereby to Krishna. So if we want to see the real person who's really there, I mean, why are we in this room together? I mean, if it weren't for one thing, we'd probably be thousands of miles apart. Overall, I mean, bhakti is very generous. We can't complain too much about that when she lets somebody in who's just, you know, like, well, he's a relative, but, you know, can't go much further than that. He's odd or, you know, and there's all kinds of people that come by bhakti's generosity. We can't argue with that too much and demand justice. Why this person is allowed? No. If we call for justice, then, then we'll be, we'll find, oh, we have to go to the back of the line ourselves. We're all here by mercy only. So we wouldn't be in the same room with uh, many of the people that we get together with in the, in the temple if it were not for the fact that Krishna consciousness is the center. And so what is that Krishna consciousness? Is it just we get together and talk about any damn thing and call it sadhu sangha? No. Anything on our mind, any complaint about somebody else, any rumor about somebody else, and those we're gonna, we want to talk about, and this, this is what we're preoccupied with? No. Devotee means servant. He's servant. So we've all rendered some service. We should see people in terms of their service. We see her, we see him, we think, I remember him, I remember her. She did this for her Gurudev. He did that for our Gurudev. Identify with people in terms of their sarup, not their mind. And why should you take it seriously anyway? What's in somebody's mind? Much less what's in your own mind. And you know what's in your own mind. You don't even know what's in somebody else's mind at the time. And you make a, a judgment what's on their mind. And then a, then a determination about the person. What did it have to do with the person? It's just an imaginary fantasy world of the mind. Yeah, that person may be dwelling in it to some extent, some extent, but we should see it like that then. He or she's just dwelling in that world. Oh, that's not the real person. That's not their swaroop. That's not what they are. I saw what they were. I saw what he was when he put on that Rathiatra festival. 
practically single-handedly, or when he sold uh, so many books, or when he was the lone pujari doing all the offerings day and night for so many months in the temple. These kind of things. We should identify with one another in this way. So Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he also, like the Goswamis, he envisioned, he wrote many books, he saw the need to underscore what is the behavior of devotees because there are many misbehaved people in the name of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Many misbehaved types of people misrepresenting Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So he underscored good behavior in his writing and by his example. I mean, he, he had as his successor a person of moral standards that frightened moral people. Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur. His standard of morality and it was intimidating. This is who he chose as his primary successor. He wanted to say, this Gaudiya Vaishnavism should rest on a moral foundation. I know it looks immoral in the ultimate end, gopis running after Krishna and so forth, but it, no. As Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas for similar reasons to show, this contemplation of gopis and Krishna, it arises out of a sound moral foundation, ethical foundation. I mean, he was a sannyasi. So anyway, he emphasized Vaishnava behavior. He drew from Shastra and wrote about Gaudiya Vaishnavism in a contemporary way, Thakur Bhakti Vinod. The Goswamis established places of Krishna's pastimes. What did Bhakti Vinod Thakur do? He established the place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes, Yogapit in Mayapur. What effort he made to establish the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. See how this is analogous. He also established the worship of Gorgadadhar and this conception and so forth. He established the deity at Yogapit, at the birthplace of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu and Vishnu Priya, Gaur Vishnu Priya. There's the whole reason for that. Why Gaur Vishnu Priya? What was his idea and so forth? The important theological argument or point he was making. But in this way, my point is that his work was very analogous to that of the Goswamis. So it was very astute for that fellow to write, Seventh Goswami. And Bhaktisiddhanta latched down to that. He said, our paribar is the Bhaktivinoda paribar. We are directly connected to an eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And this eternal associate of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, appearing in the modern world, said that the Chaitanya Sampradaya is part of the Madhva Sampradaya and the Brahma Sampradaya. This is his vision. So we go with that side of the controversy. I know I went a little bit different direction than you wanted me to go with your question, but the point is, relative to your question, the founder, Acharya, of our Sampradaya is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's the founder of our Sampradaya. So there's no person in my life that is more important to me than my Gurudev. Srila Prabhupada, and, and those of you who are his disciples, I'm sure, feel the same way. But he wouldn't want me to call him the founder Acharya of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. I think he would be quick to chastise me for doing that in the name of glorifying him. That would be inappropriate in terms of the, the teachings, the Siddhanta. So, you know, if we want to glorify somebody, as we should, especially somebody who's worthy of it, what, I mean, Many people wanted to glorify Chaitanya Mahaprabhu when they wrote things. But why it all came through Sarup Damodar before it was offered to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? 
because he wanted to make sure that the feeling that they were having had a basis in Siddhanta, in Tattva. Because if the feeling, the bhava they were having, had no basis in, in, in Tattva, in Siddhanta, then what do we call that? You saw? That's right. We call it fanaticism. Religion without philosophy, that is fanaticism. And philosophy without religion, well, then that's just mental speculation. So we have to know Shastra also. We have to speak with authority. Our Guru taught us this. We have to speak with authority. You can say whatever you want, but that it should be supported also. And if it's not, then we don't have to take it seriously. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we call in our Sampradaya, another way of saying it is, he's the Samasti Guru. Varanitinanda, Samasti Guru. Samasti means macrocosmic for the Sampradaya. And everyone representing is Vyasti Guru, microscopic, microcosmic, micro, microscopic, something like that. So, don't, but don't think, well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was the big guru, my guru is the small one. Why don't I just go to the big one? If you want to look at the stars, you have to use the telescope. On one end is a big lens, and on this end, near the eye, is a small lens. If you think, why well, I have to look through the small lens? I like to look through the big one. Then what will happen if you take the big lens and you look at the stars through that? It'll get further and further away. You'll only get a headache from that. What's big is how Krishna comes to you. That's big thing. Krishna came to me in this way. That's a big thing. That's the biggest thing in my life. I should attach myself there. Wherever faith awakens like this, then everything should move around that. This means we can't have worship our guru and not respect the faith of others. And if we have difficulty respecting the faith of others for good reasons, then in most cases it's better just to be quiet. At least within within the sampradaya. So, what time is it now? We talked for some time. Any other question? Yesterday you spoke about the fact that Shri Prabhupada was very uh, practical in his approach that when it came to the practical applications of Krishna consciousness that sometimes he would try doing things in a certain way and then when he saw that it wasn't working then he would reassess the, uh, the approach and, and change it as needed. It seems that... Um, these days, a lot of devotees say, have this idea that in the, let's say, in the, the late 70s, that was the, the top perfection in, in the way Krishna consciousness needs to be applied in, in practice. And uh, there's this conception that you know, things should not change as far as the practical approach to certain things, even though we can see from, from the past you know, 40 years or so, not 40, but 20-some uh, years, that um, certain things are just don't seem to be working. Could you elaborate on this? Well, I think that, um, that more than anything, what is a dynamic, a dynamic spiritual situation in terms of the relationship between the guru and the disciple is what Prabhupada created. And that situation was, in, in my humble opinion, one in which 
his disciples, he had them ready to stand up, sit down, stand on their head, turn left, turn right, go forward, go backward at any time. That's the dynamic kind of space that we were in, in relation to him. Now, he did tell us to do certain things, and so we did those things. Like, for example, Prabhupada emphasized book distribution, one of the things he emphasized. So we were like madly distributing books. If Prabhupada had said one day, okay, we've distributed enough books, put them in the closet, book distribution is over. I mean, there wouldn't have been another book distributor on the street. That was it. Finished. So I think it's important to look at, the, at, at that dynamic, which makes for a spiritual movement, a living and vital spiritual movement, more than, in most cases, whatever it was that we were doing that he asked us to do. Because the things that he asked us to do were largely, as it must be in any preaching situation, something that he determined relative to the time and the place and the circumstances. And time and place and circumstances are always changing. That's why even in ISKCON, certain things changed. And Prabhupada was against change in one sense, for the sake of changing, if something worked. But he also changed many things. He said in the beginning, I was experimenting with the holy name, giving it out and seeing what would happen. In my opinion, the way that Prabhupada spread the movement was something like this. He gave Krishna Nam to his disciples, they were under his guidance, so he expected something's going to happen from this. And he got inspiration from Krishna, appearing in his own disciples often. And then he would go, yeah, I think we need a temple in China. Krishna's spoken through you. Went to Mal Krishnamurti and said, Prabhupada, I might as well go to China. If you're going to, you know, take away my buses and... <laughs> And all this huge part, all this huge party that I've created, and so forth. And Prabhupada said, "Yeah, I, that's yes, Krishna. I think Krishna wants a temple in China, or somebody riding on the train says, it's a beautiful town, Prabhupada. It'd be nice if we had a temple here.' Yes, that's a good idea. You get off here, start a temple here. And he did things like that. There's general, but in, in a broader sense, also he he very much. I mean, Prabhupada is a follower, right? He's a follower of Krishna, and what is Krishna is like, you know, he's dancing. So that's not, uh, and it's free form. <laughs> it's not a set thing, how he will go, which way. And if Krishna says, I'm over here now, you can't say, hey, look, you said you were over there, I went over there, now you're over here, come on. No, you just go over there. That's what it means. Sharanagati, this is the stage on which the drama of bhakti is performed. So Prabhupada had us as Sharanagatas, in a sense. And so we need to create this type of, this type of environment has to be created. And we have to think about that more than any particular thing that Prabhupada, for example, had us doing in the 70s. And that will serve to help to make any spiritual mission alive and dynamic. I mean, there are many ways to do things. That's the whole beauty of bhakti. It's one in philosophy, but it's different in expression. Some express it as gopas, some as gopis. And it goes beyond that. Some like to serve Lakshmi Narayan, and other sampradayas. So the beauty of bhakti is the difference. But that difference arises out of the unity also. So if the philosophy is the same, like you take me, 
You know, what am I? I mean, I'm Prabhupada's disciple, right? So I have affection for Prabhupada. And somebody else is Prabhupada's disciple. They have affection for Prabhupada. So we have the same philosophy. We're Gaudiya Vaishnavas. We have the same guru. We have the same sentiment. We have the same Abhed philosophy, which is one. It's not different. And we have the same bed, same difference, same sentiment. Somebody else could have a different sentiment, right? I have the same sentiment as my godbrothers and god sisters for Prabhupada. But, forgive me for my sin, but I also have sentiment for Sridhar Maharaj, my Shiksha Guru. I didn't go looking for him or anything. It just happened to happen that way. Same way it happened that I got affection for Prabhupada. Now, is, that, is there any philosophy to support that? Yes. Do you have to have that sentiment? No. Does that difference have to separate us? No. Why should it? We have the same philosophy. And that philosophy allows for different sentiments. Not only that, but I have affection for Sridhar Marsh, and so did Prabhupada. So I have a sentiment that Prabhupada had that maybe you don't have. <laughs> I'm not you know, saying I have any more affection for, for Prabhupada than anybody, but just to make the point. So there's room for difference, and the difference is beautiful, and the difference manifests in a high sense, in sentiment, in relation to Krishna. It may manifest in relation to devotees, and it manifests with regard to preaching and spreading Krishna consciousness. And there are many minds in the marketplace, so there have to be different approaches and so forth. And some people will really like one particular way of doing things, and, and if it works, great. Other people will do other things. Like, I look for things that, that nobody else is doing out there. I'll, I'll find something to do. That's why I write the kind of books that I write, because nobody's writing the books, the kind of books that I write, that I know of. And I don't say they're better or, or even as good as somebody else's, but nobody's writing in that particular way. I tend to write in a very contemporary way about core material of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, deeper matters, and try to explain them in a very sensible and logical way, try to bring dignity to the, to the Sampradaya. I mean, I'm not, even saying, I'm not writing about reincarnation and things like that and vegetarianism. And I try to do it in a contemporary way and they sell in the stores and it's, you know, some people like it. So it, it fills some small niche in the world. And that's how I started distributing books. You know, when I came to Los Angeles and I thought all the devotees were just like, you know, gods and goddesses. They're just like, ah, oh, so much more advanced. I mean, how could I? I had no education, anything. They all seemed so learned and... And uh, I was a very simple uh, person, at least as I thought as I thought of myself. I could never hold a job or anything. And so there was a note on the board Ramaswar put up about you know book distribution, something about there were like three or four people going out and selling books, and he had listed what they did. And I thought I bet I could do that. There's not too many. There's like hundred some two hundred people here. You know, there's only like two or three of them. Vishal, I think, and Leela Shakti. And, or maybe a couple of them going out on, on book distribution, not every day. And I thought, oh, maybe I could do that. I could stand on the street, you know, and talk to people about about Krishna and try to sell them a book. <laughs> so I thought, I'll, I'll fill in there. I had no idea that, you know, this was, and it wasn't coming out at that time. I probably really wanted the book. It almost he, he, didn't have a voice yet. <laughs> probably wants book distribution everywhere and pushing that. And of course he did. So I went out and I thought, I'll take the lowest position here and I just try to sell these books. So I tried to, you know, fill in where I thought, you know, something needed to be done, something extra. So anyway, I don't want to dwell on my own situation, but the point is that there's room for a variety of expression. And, and I think that ISKCON was 
in one way, in one sense, at its, at its peak in the late 70s under Prabhupada's command and preaching. But if we study the movement of ISKCON under Prabhupada's guidance, we see that it went through continually through changes and developments. And it was, we weren't thinking at the time, and we were expecting that more books would come out from Prabhupada, more temples would be opened, other projects would develop, other things, and so forth. So to just stop it there is not to read the history of ISKCON's evolution. Yeah, it was at the high point, but that's when Prabhupada left. Is it supposed to stay there? Is it supposed to keep getting higher? Is there any progress? That's Guru Parampara. The Guru is not bona fide because he or she only says what's been said before and nothing more. And if he or she says anything more, he becomes unbona fide. No, he's supposed to say more. That's what he's supposed to say. More of the same. How's that? More of the same. Prabhupada said the business of the guru, the first business, is to make a literary contribution. That's what he said. We were talking with this all about this, the importance of new books. If ISKCON was at its height in 1977, then okay, let's go back to that. What was one of the most important things that was going on then? The BBT was producing books about Krishna, definitive editions of Shastra. I don't know when the BBT was formed. Anybody want to help me with that? Let's say 1970. So, in seven years, how many books were published? 60 volumes or something? Like that, let's say. 60 books. Now Prabhupada's left us 27 years ago. In 27 years... How many times? Seven goes into twenty-seven. Four times. Sixty times four? Two hundred and forty. Right? We should have two hundred and forty volumes of, of books printed by the BBT. Just to maintain the standard that was at that time. Not to increase it. Where's that? So we're not even doing what was going on then. And that was one of the things that made the mission dynamic. And that's what made, the, one of the things, important things, that made the mission, the mission flexible and humble, because we were humbled in the face of all that there was to know about Krishna, which seemed unlimited. 300 pages this month, 300 pages that month, this story of the Bhagavatam, that one, 17 volumes of Chaitanya Charitamrita in two months to read and distribute and read again and distribute and read again. I mean, this is what Prabhupada was doing to us. And that was very much what was making the movement. It didn't, they didn't have time to quarrel. Some people did. But, you know, most of us simple <laughs> rank and file types, we didn't have much to quarrel about. We were out there selling the books, giving the money to somebody else to quarrel over or whatever, and reading the books. So where are all the books now? Archives should go on forever. Archiving the lineage, the, the succession of, of Prabhupada, all the contributions from his stalwart followers and so forth. So even if you want to make that argument that, that it should go on like that, then I say, then what about that? Where are the books? And the books will change it, you see. The books will keep it dynamic. This is what makes people flexible and open. It doesn't allow their heart to get hard because they're hearing about Krishna. People say, well, Prabhupada, all the books, everything's in Prabhupada's books. But most of those people say that, don't read them very well. 
I say that too, everything's in Prabhupada's books, but when I say it, it has a different meaning. Then somebody else says, everything's in Prabhupada's books. The meaning is, there's no need for any more books. You didn't read the books very well, if that's your conclusion. So, this kind of thing, Harikata, discussion of the Shastra, what is the significance of it is? This is what's vital to a mission, to make it alive. Make its followers feel like, rather than just in theory, we've got this great thing, and you know, I heard about it, and it's really great, and, but you keep hearing about it, then you get energized. Keep hearing about it, you find yourself going there. Instead of drifting towards the world, you're moving away from the world. And when you look at the world, you think, whoa, I have something to offer to them, and you want to go back in that way. That was keeping the movement alive. That's required. And then later, then later, we'll be frozen in time. We will be open to change, which is necessary as times <coughs> change. Not to change the philosophy, but to change perhaps the presentation. Or I mean, this is what Bhaktivinoda did. Look what the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did. He changed so many things. I mean, Prabhupada was, you know, they used to complain, some people, in Gaudiya Math, Yes, Swami Marsh, how they would refer to Prabhupada, some of them. Swami Marsh, he has men and women dancing in the same temple. He has ruined the Sampradaya. <laughs> That's what they thought. That was a big change. Prabhupada was quite a liberal. <laughs> he said, oh, they're different there. They're different in the West. In our country, we don't do that. The men and women don't intermingle in that way. In this country, they do. So I'm looking at it like that and then using it accordingly in this way. Yeah, they were both dancing in the temple together, back, front, side, side. It used to be side by side when I joined. One side was the ladies, one side the men, aisle down the middle, Prabhupada on one end, Radha and Krishna on the, on the other. They were dancing in the same temple. And then they weren't thinking, I'm a woman, I'm a man, either. They were thinking, oh, here I am, standing in front of Radha and Krishna, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You know, these kind of issues about, like, well, men or women or whatever, they were, you know, they were there, but they were, they weren't on the surface, let's say. It's like, you know, with a neon sign, this kind of issue. The issue was Krishna consciousness, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching, some kirtan and so forth. Anyway, Prabhupada made many, many, many adjustments. Bhakti Vinotaku made it. Bhakti Siddhanta Sastrati Thakur made all these adjustments. But then someone said, well, Prabhupada is the one who came to the West, so he made all the adjustments for the Western world. They're done. But the Western world is not done adjusting. <laughs> it's still adjusting itself in, in so many ways, and it always will. So, you know, we have to follow Prabhupada in a dynamic way, in a substantial way. And admittedly, someone may do that, and it may look like he's not following them at all, because he's not following according to the letter, but to the spirit of law, which is the case for his... His own self. That's how he looked to many of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's disciples, because Prabhupada didn't do things in the temples like Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur did. Bhakti Siddhanta didn't have a Vyasasan for himself in every temple. When some of his gabbards heard Prabhupada's got a seat for himself in every temple, what is this? Gurudev didn't do that. And so many things. They couldn't quite understand, many of his gabbards, what he was doing. And then, when they didn't cooperate with him, and some of them became envious of him and interfered with him, he made a statement like, ah, oh, they're all bell ringers. And a bunch of them gathered together and they came to Sridhar Maharaj. And they said, 
Now Swami Mars is calling us bell ringers. And he laughed and he said, huh, the kind of preaching campaign he's doing, if you could be a bell ringer in his mission, you'd be doing good. <laughs> it's a compliment. He sees you as bell ringers. Try to see what he's doing. He's giving you some position. What else? Anything else? Do um, your disciples distribute your books sometimes on the streets? Like, uh, not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> and um, do you miss that service sometimes? I mean, you used to be so absorbed in it. I'm pretty absorbed right now. <laughs> absorbed in that, I mean. And I don't know if I have the same physical energy for it. You probably do in one hour, though, but you used to be in five I think it's, um, you know, it's progressive, what I'm doing. Yeah. The same, I the same idea. Since um, I think all devotees that did distribute books just remember that. Were good times. such a highlight. Yeah, definitely. I did go out in, uh, a few years ago in Portland at a table. I set up a table and I was going out with some of the some of the brahmacharis and I sat behind the table and talked to people and it was oh, reminiscent signing, of those those days. Hmm? You were signing a few books last night. Signing books, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this was a very was a very special time for more reasons than one. In other words, we were distributing the books and the books that we were distributing, I mean, the Prabhupada was manifesting the Bhagavatam, first time in English. This is an incredible thing to be part of historically. It's just absolutely mind-boggling that you'd have the opportunity to be part of that. It's not just, you know, higher taste or something like that you're out there selling. It's like Srimad Bhagavatam. And then the, the, the money coming from that is going to print the next volume of the Bhagavatam. And we got to take part in manifesting the heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as Srimad Bhagavatam is often considered in English, which is, you know, the, practically the, you know, the universal language in, in the world today. It was an incredible thing. To, so it was a special, extra special opportunity. I remember when the Bhagavatam first came out, first six volumes, it was the first canto in three volumes, the second canto in two volumes, and the third canto in one volume. Previous to that, we had chapters of the Bhagavatam, you probably remember. And we had maybe teachings of Lord Chaitanya, Nectar Devotion, the Blue Bhagavad Gita. But we were hearing classes from the Bhagavatam, you know, the, and, you know, we never heard this kind of stuff before, the Bhagavatam. So, and what's the next verse? And everybody didn't have the chapters either, so if they were given the class, they were, what's the next verse? Where's this thing going? You know, Sukadev speaking to Maharaj Parikshit. Very absorbing. And so then, then uh, these six volumes came out, and they arrived in L.A. and Ramasar pulled me aside and said, "Come on, like at Mangalarti after Mangalarti, I want to show you." The books came. And they were going to the, we had a little book room in the back of the temple, and we opened up a carton, and there they were. And they, you know, they were so beautiful with the paintings and everything, and the printing was just first class and all. We were just like a, just enamored by them. And, and so then it was Saturday morning. And Saturday, he and I would organize 
the book distribution so that all the householders would go out, which car they would go in, what department store they would go and pack their lunches and everything like that. And, and uh, you know, he was a pretty good organizer. So he organized, and I, t- I had a map of Los Angeles in my mind, like, okay, that department store is good during these hours, and this one over here is good. For so I would feed him that information, and then he would organize everything. And um, then we'd put a notice up in prominent places, you know, who was going out and what vehicle, where, and so forth. And so we had to think, well, what, what to do? Like, now all these Bhagavatams are here. And so we decided, if we give these Bhagavatams out to everybody now, they're never going to go out on Sankirtan today, which is Saturday, you know, the big day. So they're all just going to get enamored by these new books, and they're just going to be reading them. And so, so we decided to let them go out, and then when they come back, then we'll give them the books. So we we're hiding the goods. But, of course, I knew about them. And I had to go out because, you know, I was trying to set an example for others, asking them to go out. I had to go out. I used to, in those days, everyone would go out on Saturday, then I would go out. And Prabhupada had this uh, Toyota station wagon, which was Prabhupada's car, which we would pick him up in and, you know, take him on a walk in when he came. So I, I used to drive that. And I'd go out, in those days, I'd go out to the airport in disguise, and it was illegal and so forth, and sneak around. So everybody went out, and there were all those books, and so I took them out. A case of this one, and a case of that one, and I went to the airport, and I'm carrying around this bog, and all these verses are coming to my mind, you know. All the demigods come to your house every day if you keep the bog with them there. Idam Bhagavatam Nama Pranam Brahmasamitam Uttamasloka Chaditam Chakara Bhagavanishi Nishaya Shaya Lokasya Danyam Sastyayanam Mahati. All these things about this little reincarnation of God and I'm carrying it in my bag. It looks like the, is the deity himself is here and, and I would sit down with somebody and I'd start talking with him and I'd say, and I want to show you something. I'd pull out this book and I'd give it to him. You know, I was usually pretty active and talkative, and so but I was really like just in awe and in, and really in ecstasy. And I just took hand of the book and I said, "This is like a really beautiful book." And you know, if you take it home, and it's spiritual, and keep it with you. Don't put, don't take it in the bathroom. I told <laughs> says put it in a special place, and they just feel that you know coming from me. I really felt like this about the book, and so they take it and and they gave a donation. I sold like thirty two books or something, which was like huge amount of big books, as we used to call them, as opposed to the smaller books in those days. And then I, then I, you know, came back, and I couldn't talk. I mean, I just couldn't talk. I was really, I couldn't talk. I was so ecstatic. Came back to the temple, and, and all the devotees had come back, because I would go out later after giving, getting everybody out, and then come back a little later. Everybody was there, and they were opening the books, and reading, and everyone, look at this, and look at these pictures. And I just walked in, and Ramaswar took one look at me, and you could see Tripurai Dasi, he's gone, this guy's gone. <laughs> so he just said, he just grabbed me, pulled me aside, gave me my set of books, and pushed me out and go home. And I lived across the street, I was a householder at that time. And I, and I just went home with the books, took them out, put them on the altar, offered Artik, <laughs> like that. That was my introduction to Srimad Bhagavatam. It meant a lot to us to see those books come out. <laughs> very, very, very enlivening. So, all right, I appreciate all your time, taking the time to come give me a chance to speak. Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Isi Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada Ki Jai, Sri Sri Gaur Nityananda Ki Jai, Radha Govinda Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai.
Bom treino, mano.